0: All right, here he is, John Levin from Dockin'. What's going on, man? Oh, uh, I'm
1: uh, just hanging in there. All good, man. The album's out, so I'm super psyched about that.
0: Yeah, Heaven comes down, been out for uh, about a week now, and it's, it's excellent. First Dockin' album in, in over a decade since uh, Broken Bones in 2012, and I believe this is your uh, fourth record with Dockin'. Is that right?
1: Fourth studio record um then i did the uh we did the re-recorded greatest hits but you know it's still a studio record but not all you know original compositions or anything for new the new band
0: so why the long wait uh in between broken bones and and heaven comes (laughs) down i I know a lot of this was written during covid which at this point is three and a half almost four years ago which is insane but that's still you know almost uh even at that point a decade eight years almost a decade in between uh even if you know when you started working on it so uh, what took so long? Oh,
1: well, you know, we had some tr- physical issues in the band we had to deal with. Um, you know, every time you finish a record, like, frankly, with Broken Bones, I was really excited about that one As, as in listening to the tracks. Like when Don and I were sit- sitting and listening to the final before it went to mixing and mastering, you know, I remember we were both really pumped about it. And um, in, in any making of any album, like everything has to sort of go right from A to Z, you know what I mean? um and anything like in mixing or mastering can, if something doesn't go right the record can turn out not being exactly what you had hoped and just for me I, I was unhappy with the mastering on that record i just felt like it made it sound too too like a current like for a band a heavy band um other than Dawkins. like it didn't really feel right to me so i got a little you know it took a little bit of the, the wind out of my sails between that and don and i having injuries in the record we didn't really get to tour the record so, you know, it, it, was, it was disheartening, you know? So I think, I think we just were both, like, not even, it wasn't even on the forefront of our minds, really, to do another one after that, I, at least for me. You know, that's how I felt about it. It was like, oh, after that last one, I don't know if I want to do another one.
0: Well, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of speculation. It's been uh, alluded to. Uh, but will this, in fact, be the uh, final hurrah for Dawkins in terms of new music?
1: Well, you never say never, right? Who knows? Um, you know, I, I think things just go in life as they go, and if if it turns out that all of a sudden there's inspiration and we want to do it, and you know, if we're gonna, it's going to be a tough one to beat. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think I, I would I'm agree. It's, really,
0: it's phenomenal. proud of
1: this one, but anything's possible. You know, I mean, we'd have to see what happens. For for right now, you know,
0: too soon to tell. You have said uh, before that when you guys did uh, Lightning Strikes Again, which I think was back in 08, that both you and Don felt that, that that was a good way to cap off the career, so to speak, uh, right. at least in, in terms of new music with Dawkins. Obviously, like you just said, you were rather unhappy with, with how uh, Broken Bones turned out. So if Heaven Comes Down is, in fact, the final Dawkins record, are you happy with ending it and ending your uh, two decades plus at this point? Uh, are, are you happy with wrapping it up with this record?
1: If this was the last one, I, I would say I'd feel like, you know what, man, we went out with a bang, man. You know, I, I can't imagine a better album. You know what I'm saying? I'm really, really proud of this one. And I know Don is too. So if it turned out this was the last one, I would feel like we really gave the fans something that they can really enjoy. And, um, and I'd be proud of that. You know, And you're absolutely right, because after Lightning Strikes Again, we said we're not going to do another one. And I think we said the same thing, and then after Broken Boat, so we've been (laughs) saying that consistently. But uh, yeah, I I wouldn't be disappointed going out on this one if it turned out that this was the last one.
0: Well, you know, what I think is is so great, and I, I feel like I've been saying this to a lot of the guests that have been on this show lately, but... You know, uh, oftentimes when, you know, when a band that's, uh, you know, from the 80s or whatever, and they put out, uh, you know, a modern record, a lot of times it's just, it's not that good. It, It just, it doesn't have the same energy, the same vibes that it did, you know, uh, 35 40 years ago whatever but this new album is just phenomenal and you know it sounds like doc and obviously you know as plenty of people have said you know don is is avoiding some of the crazy high notes but in a way i i think that's you know i think that's very respectable because you know especially with all the tracks and stuff going on which docking is a is a full live band and and you know when you go go see you guys live and you're playing these new songs, it's going to sound just like the record. There's not right. all these crazy high notes and, and shit like that that can't be reproduced in a live setting, which I, I think is is phenomenal and commendable. Yeah, and you
1: know what, the, the live, you know, really, do you want to hear, I mean, Don's now 70, Um, it, it does it, to, to me anyway, to say, oh, someone has to sing as high as they could for a, a music to carry emotion, As they have to sing as high as they could when they were 25, I mean, you know, it doesn't make it it's to me. That's a It doesn't make sense. Like it's a, a, a musical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like music is conveying an emotion. Should a guitar player then have to play as fast as they could to convey emotion? You know, it's it, it, it makes it's re, it's sort of to me silly. Nor does do you really want to hear someone in their is 270 screaming as high as he could, even if he could. Is that going to make the song better? <laughs> right. You know, like that just, it doesn't, when I hear that comment, they just like, this, this, this makes no sense to me, man, you know? And like, if you can compare it to art, right? Like an artist, some guys, if you have a box of crayons and have a hundred colors in there, someone can make a, you know, a painting out of the hundred colors, that's okay. But then there's another guy could take a pencil and make something unbelievable.
0: 100%, you know? absolutely. So,
1: right? So it's not how many, it's not like how many tools you have in your toolbox. It's what you do with the tools you have, you know? And if you listen to this record, like this is some to me, this is some of the best conveyance of emotion Don's ever done on tracks. Like listen to "Never Give Up," you know.
0: Absolutely, I'm sorry.
1: Um, yeah, I mean the ballad. I mean, I think that's one of his best vocal performances.
0: I, I think that the whole thing from front to back is is seriously so great, and you know, but being in the band as long as you have now at this point, obviously. Don is the face of the band and essentially the leader, but how much input uh, do you have in the band uh, creatively and both, uh, and, and on the, the business side as well? Uh,
1: on, on the musical side, uh, we, this was a collaboration. Like we've always collaborated in the past and Lightning Strikes Again and Broken Bones and El pay like those we did together in a room. Like I would come, we would meet like together in a studio and I'd play Don riffs, he played me riffs and we'd work like that. But because of this one with COVID, we had to do it completely differently um we wrote independently uh so i have a studio here don has a studio and, and just for me the reason why I, I, in the past i was never really able to do as much as i wanted to do in the studio it was, it was like a hurdle of learning how to program drums and i was able to overcome that during covid and, and once i had that i was able to do complete tracks so i for example like on fugitive and gypsy i would sent Don those tracks in a completed song like i just sent it to him And then at some point after COVID, he came here and sang and we worked together in the studio here. But that's how it was on this one. Like on Santa Fe, he wrote that independently entirely. He did that in his studio. And on Like a Rose, he had the music. He had the track for that done, lyrics, melody and music. And I rewrote the the music on that, the guitar part. All the rest of them came from tracks that I I wrote here and Don wrote lyrics and melodies and put, put, you know, and puts producer hat on and did did quite a bit in that department
0: during the pandemic and and having to to sort of work on things remotely does it uh, I mean does it have a, a negative effect on things in that you know you can't necessarily be in the same room and and kind of bounce ideas uh, around as as quickly and and as organically as you know sending emails and texts like hey what do you think of this and you know, get <laughs> a response and all that kind of stuff.
1: Um. Uh... I don't know. I I think that it was just a different process. Um, And I I guess if you look at the finished product, maybe it was the right process for the time because, you know, I think also with COVID, it was, there was nothing else to do, you know what I mean? Like, at least for me. So I really entrenched myself in writing a lot of music. And when I was able to actually program drums into Pro Tools uh, for many, many years, all the way back to, you know, I always, anything I would write, I'd record it on my iPhone in in the notes, you know, and I'd label it. But a lot, so much, I never got to demo it because I like I don't know how to do drums in Pro Tools. So it's like too hard, you know what I mean. So once I was able to overcome that, I was like able to scroll through it and like get my ideas going, and I really got into it, you know. And 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 Don must have done the same in his end because, like I said, there wasn't anything else to do. So it was just about music, really, for like all that period of time.
0: I want to go back uh, to to your beginning. Obviously, you were in Warlock with Doro uh, in the late 80s. But prior to that, uh, I believe you were uh, in a a local Long Island band uh, called Devious. Is that right? Yeah, right. So, you know, just being in a local band, how do you end up getting the audition for Warlock? Is it something that you just sort of uh, blindly sent your stuff in? Or Uh or was there a mutual connection? uh, You know, someone that you knew that also knew the band that kind of put you guys in touch?
1: Alright, here's what happened with that. So I was in the, in, the, in Devious, we were doing well, we were selling our clubs on Long Island, you know, and, um, and the band was growing in popularity. And one day I got a phone, Tommy Henderson, who's still a dear friend of mine today, he plays in Alice Cooper's band, he saw me play in one of those clubs. And then when they needed a guitar player, he said, yeah, I, uh, you know, he recommended me. Uh, we hadn't really even met each other, I think, up to that point. And then I got a call from either, I can't remember if it was Tommy or Joey Ballin, the producer that called me, but um, when I spoke to Tommy about it, and I remember my first call with him, he said, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you know, look, in this band, when they tell you something is going to happen, it happens. You know, this is like, and you know, it's it's a real, it's a real touring band. Like, it's not like what you're used to. So I met with them when we went over some of the songs. Someone must have sent me the material. I learned it. I went met with him in his house at the time, and we j- played together. And then we played together in SIR as a band. I, I, and, you know, Bobby Rodinelli was the drummer. And I think the three of us played in SIR with Doro. And then the next day, I got a phone call from uh, Doro's manager. Well, the assistant called me and said, can you come into the city and meet with Alex Grobe?" I didn't know who Alex Grobe was, to be honest. And I went and met with him, and he said, yeah, you know, Doro loved you, and she wants, wants you in the band. And just don't do any drugs. <laughs> That's wow. what he said to me. Yeah.
0: Uh, on the record, uh, the Warlock record that you're on, you're actually listed as as uh, John Devin because the yeah. bass player uh, of the band Europe is named John Levin. And, right. Uh, but so was that uh, upsetting to you? You know, you're you're a, a young kid really at that point. You finally get your break as a musician, and you're like, you know, I, I can't. They're not even using my fucking name. I got no, a huge no. name. No, no. That
1: was actually my. Here's what happened with that. I was a Kramer in Dorsey before when I was in the club band, right? Um, and, and they were also, I guess, sending... So John Levin from Europe, I think what must have been getting some bass or something from him. I, I never knew the names of the people. You know, I was still too young of, of the, who was in you know Europe. But I remember I had a guitar on order or something, and then it got confused with his bass, and they sent something to the wrong address, or they confused the order because... And then, you know, my, my singer at the time said to me, um, hey, man, you know, why don't you just change your name? Because, you know, my middle initial is Daniel, D for Daniel. But like, why don't you just take the middle initial and get change that L for a D? And you'll be John, be John Devin instead of John Levin. And this, this way you'll have a, a, a name different than someone else who's already made it in the music industry. So I figured, OK, yeah, it makes sense, you
0: know. But... Right. Was there any, uh, when, when that whole thing was was over, did you ever think, you know, maybe I'll just keep that name, or did you always just want to revert back to John Levin?
1: Um, well, you, you know, years had gone by from uh, after I didn't play for a number of years, and then when I got back into the Docking thing, I was like, you know what, I, I, I don't want to use that name anymore. I, I think I was a little older at that point, and I looked at it like, you know, does it really matter if there's two guys with the same name? Sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so after Warlock, you had a, another band, I believe, uh, briefly, I think this was early nineties at that point, uh, that was on Atlantic. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. What band was that? Uh, it was called big trouble. What that hit, what happened was, um, we finished off the Doro Force major tour. Um, and there was this, we had some downtime and there was this singer. I knew Eric St. Michael's and, um, he, he sort of, I, I had heard of him through, I met him once, but I, he, you know, there was a buzz about him in New York, you know. And then somehow we managed to connect and Tommy and I had been writing songs. So we, we were like, we had some downtime, like, hey, man, you want to do a demo and let Eric sing on it. So we we uh, we did a demo of like three songs or four songs, three, I think. Bobby played drums, Tommy played bass, I played guitar and Eric sang. And, and, you know, it came out far better than any of us had anticipated it coming out, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, we got management and it got offered a deal on Atlantic Records. So we had it. We were in a conundrum. You know, nobody wanted to quit Doro's thing, but, you know, we all wanted to sort of have our own band, you know.
0: So then, what what ended up happening with it? Why it was uh, you know kind of short lived? Was it one of those like you know it was uh, sort of 80s sounding, and then you know Nirvana comes along, and and so some of you know some bands like you know, like a Trickster or Slaughter kind of came along a little too late, and and then you know obviously everybody's taste kind of changed. Is that kind of what happened, or not really?
1: Um, I just think that we got caught up in the typical issues and problems of the music business that led to the band sort of breaking up prematurely and uh but you know and then from there i just started another band and moved to la and tommy moved to la and and joined jeff pilson's band i think it was called war and peace um yeah so he had come out here first and then i had another band i started called big trouble and then we moved to los angeles in 91 with that band and then you know sure enough i met jeff through tommy and then that's how that connection happened.
0: Well, and when you moved to LA, that's when you ended up going to to law school too, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. too. yeah.
0: And you I, want that backstory? <laughs> well, I, I know you ended up graduating in 96, but you know, going from, from playing in all these bands, why, why pursue law? Was it something that, uh, you know, was always in the back of your mind, even in the Warlock days or, or even prior to that, something you wanted to do? Or was it, uh, you know, just another way to stay uh, in the entertainment space? Because I know you said before, too, when, when everything kind of shifted in the 90s, you weren't uh, as much into that type of thing. So, uh, you know, just was that why you specifically went into entertainment law?
1: Um, I, I, frankly, I never really even wanted to be a lawyer. W- w- you know, when I moved out here, there was three of us living in a two bedroom apartment. Right. And, and I had no money. And it was you know, just about, can I get my rent paid? And I'm sure when I moved to LA, my whole family thought, oh, he's going to be back in months. How's he going to support himself <laughs> and what's he going to do? And uh, I used to sell computer pr- r- printer ribbon parts. I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to go sell these cold calling you know, people from index cards, like you get phone solicitations today, right? And then all of a sudden, the nirvana smells like teen spirit video hit, right? And everything that I wanted to do as, as my life, which is, this right soloing whatever playing leads in in a band that had solos like van halen ozzy osborne or Dokken whatever all went out the window so all of a sudden now it's like i'm selling you know i'm getting up at 4 3 in the morning to just make a couple hundred bucks a month i have no money um everything i wanted to do as a player now seems to have vanished from earth so I spoke to my dad and I remember he said to me, "Well, you have two choices. You can either work in the record store or you can go to law school." So like that was the gamut in his mind, right? Record store or law school. Like <laughs> I had to choose somehow one of those two things in the whole scheme of the world and jobs people can do. I had two options, right? So um I went to law school because fr- frankly I did it out of fear. Out of fear of not being able to pay my bills and having to move back to New York and you know, also right at the time, I I didn't really mention this ever before, but my mother passed away in 91. I moved out here in 91. And a few months later, my mom, my mom dies, right? And I think that between my mother's passing away, and the whole earth turning against the rock guitar thing for, you know, leads. I I just, I felt like I, you know, was just one of those forks in the road in life that was a transition. And I think that If I didn't go to law school, I never would have been in Dokken because I would have moved back to New York and I don't know what I would have done. But I, you know, I I had, I was sort of desperate to figure out a way to make some money so I could stay in California because just for me, moving back to New York just wasn't an option. I just didn't want to do it.
0: And you're still, you still practice law uh, to this day, right? Yes, I still do. (laughs) But yep. you do, it's it's not just entertainment. I think you, I, I saw that you do a family law too, right?
1: Correct. Those are my two fields. M- mostly family law today and wow. some entertainment.
0: It's it's crazy. I mean, how, how do you balance being, a, you know, I guess, you know, at this point, docking's not really touring. It's it's a lot of fly dates and things like that. So it's not like you're living on the bus. But still, I mean, you know, docking is a, a very active thing. Obviously, brand new record out and a bunch of tour dates coming up and all that. So is it difficult? Uh you know, to to be able to handle all the law stuff while you got, uh, you know, docking going on, I'm, I'm sure you know having however many clients you have, it's it's got to be rather demanding, and and you've got to be around to you know whether it's it's going to court or or just having meetings with clients, whatever it is. Uh, it, but that seems like a an crazy amount of of responsibility to have.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really really a busy person, <laughs>
0: You know, it used to be, frankly, it was easier. Um, when I first
1: joined the band, we were doing, mo- we were mostly doing bus tours, you know, and you know, the technology back then wasn't what it was today, but I, there was an early version of a way to convert a laptop through your phone to, to like, uh, be able to get on the internet. Like that's how premature it was, you know, sure. and I had the software that I can plug my cell phone into the laptop and get email and work. And, and at that time, I was doing still mostly entertainment law. This was 20 years ago, you know, 19, whatever. Yeah, in 2004. And I set up a makeshift office on the bus, and I would do my work during the day on the bus. Or if we had a hotel room, I would do in a hotel room. And, and it, w- it was okay. Um, now, you know, because I'm, I, I litigate so much, we, we really predominantly do fly dates now, where we'll leave on a Thursday or a Friday and play, like, on Friday or Saturday, you know. So it's mostly like that. And I'm usually able to get most of my things cleared away before I leave. You know, and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And I have to take a computer with me and work um, on the road. But I've managed to, to juggle it. There was one time I couldn't, I couldn't uh, reconcile the conflict. I mean, I had a trial. Um, it was 2018, early, late 2017, early 2018. And uh, they had a, Don got a, a fill-in for me for a number of shows. I couldn't get the trial moved and it was in the winter. We don't usually tour much in the winter, and um, yeah, that was like really the only time I couldn't make it work.
0: Uh, who was it? The Felden? Was that uh, uh, Ira Black or something? Yeah,
1: that was oh, Ira. Okay. Ira. I Super you. nice guy, by the way. Really, really good guy.
0: Yeah. So obviously, you know, I, I think at this point you've told the story a million times of of how you joined Dokken, but uh, a couple yeah. of things that, one, I, I, I do find it just so funny that uh, obviously you didn't know, you know, Jeff Pilsen calls you, you didn't know it was for Dokken, he just asked you yeah. to come come record on uh, on some demos, but you show up, Don's there, uh, and he just hands you a guitar yeah. and, and just says, just play, and, and you're like, can I hear the song? And he goes, no. Which is so funny, and and uh, you know I, I can't even imagine how tense that had to be. Uh, but what's uh, what's fascinating is that at first you didn't actually get the gig. I know you played a few shows, but they actually yeah. ended up with with uh, Red Beach before you came yeah. in. Which was like uh, I think you ended up joining what like three or four years after uh, after yeah. that first meeting, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, look at it from they, they had management at the time. Don did. Um, So could you imagine like going to the manager and saying, well, who do we take Um, this guy who's a lawyer, (laughs) right? He plays guitar, but he's a lawyer and he's got short hair. Or do we take Red Beach? (laughs) I mean, is it really like is there really a choice there? you know of course you take red beach you don't take the guy that's you know a lawyer he's got short hair he's been out of the business for you know come on don what's the matter with you like that's what i would have said if i was his manager Don, you, come on you got to take the guy with the name you don't go with the unknown guy what's the matter what are you kidding what are you
0: thinking well and, and weren't you uh jeff Pelson's lawyer at that time uh, as well yeah
1: i was yeah and i i think you know i was don's lawyer too i don't remember if i had been Don's. i don't think i became don's lawyer till after that time yeah i think it was after but i i was yeah i didn't become don's lawyer till obviously after that um when i played in that studio so it must have been 99 around that time i became don's lawyer but i had previously been jeff's lawyer yeah
0: does it kind of change the the dynamic uh, of the band and you know uh, obviously at that time you were the new guy to a band that already had so much history, but you know, you're also uh, half of the band's uh, lawyer, you know, Don and, and Jeff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would imagine there was no, there, there wasn't any like, you know, new guy hazing, so to speak, or, or, you yeah. know, keeping you out of the loop because uh, I mean, really you already knew what was going on uh, because you were representing them. So it, I would imagine that when you joined the band, it must not have been, Uh, too awkward since you had so many other dealings with them.
1: Uh, Remember, when I finally officially joined, like, okay, so the first couple shows I played, I I did two shows with Jeff in Dawkin, with Jeff and and Mick. It was all of us together. Uh, But then Jeff soon departed and went to play, I think, with Dio. And and remember then, I wasn't in the band for a whole stretch of time. Um, I did about a dozen shows with them, though, between hmm, 2001 and 2003 like in that time frame i did about a dozen gigs just here and there um but it wasn't until 2000 late 2002 or early 2003 one day don calls me um and they were on tour with the scorpions and he said hey we're, we're, we're playing in vegas come up and i'll get you a room come up watch the show and then you know i want to talk with you i'm like yeah okay so i go up and, and i watch the show um and then we met and, and chatted and then all of a sudden Don said hey you know what I, I want to make a change can you can you can if I put you in the band do you realistically have the ability to commit to doing this with everything else you have and and um I remember at the time I was doing mostly entertainment so I, I remember thinking yeah I could do all my work from the road you know and I'm like yeah I could, I could do it wow and that's how it that happened yeah then we started writing for hell to pay
0: so uh, you know when when Dokken does these sort of sporadic reunion uh, reunions with with George Lynch, I remember him saying a while back that uh, you know he he thinks it's it's a little mm-hmm. bit strange for him to hear uh, you know the songs he wrote before he ends up coming on stage as the show is yep. wrapping up, do the last three or four songs with you guys. But understandably, yeah. Do you feel the the same way? Obviously, in, in a different sense, in that the guy that wrote the songs is playing. Uh, you know, he's in the room and. and so <laughs> and, and George Lynch is obviously such a, a, a respected guitar player. So, you know, obviously you're so comfortable playing these songs now for over two decades. But I, I, I got to imagine that it adds some sort of pressure like, oh, fuck, George, George is right there. <laughs> you know, I, I better uh, not fuck this up.
1: It, it doesn't, you know, for some reason, like my, my brain doesn't operate with pressure the same as other people like for some reason it doesn't hit me the same way i've always been like that just ever since i was young i seem to do better like if i don't have any pressure situation then i don't do anything like in other words even to record like i need to have don saying dude you got to finish this by next friday when mix you know what i mean like then i'll feel pressure (laughs) and i'll get it done um but it's funny because george i I completely understand george feeling like that i would too if i was him i said to him and i even said to him george how do you think it feels for me having to play these songs in, in front of you? You know? Imagine like do the flip side. I, I I completely understand it for him. Like I'd be like, man, I wrote all these songs. I gotta watch some other guy playing them. I'd be I completely get it. But we we had a laugh about that. I said, dude, how do you think it feels for me? I gotta play your stuff in front of you.
0: With Lynch Mob recently announcing their their final tour or whatever that goes on for like a year and a half, are there going to be any more uh, Doc and Lynch Mob shows uh, in twenty twenty four?
1: I would hope so. I mean, we had a re- we've had a real blast playing with them. You know, and it's been and I think the fans really liked it too. So I would I would assume there will be. You know, I don't do a handle anything with the booking, um, but I would hope so and I would assume so.
0: Are you uh, are you in touch at all with with uh, Mick Brown? The, the the story of him uh, where he just I, I heard you say that you guys were in the airport coming home and yeah. he just kind of up and retires like Ah oh, man, I'm 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 done with this. Not doing it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Do you talk You're on the way,
1: way to a gig? Oh, I think on it was the way New to Jersey. He wow. was in
0: Jersey. Yeah, yeah. You talk to him anymore or, or uh, not? So much? Um,
1: once in a while, you know. I love him, man. I I just love him. He's I, he's my brother, you know. Um, Text him every time, call him or text him for his birthday, never miss. Um, And, you know, he reaches out to me every so often. And, you know, I I just had so many wonderful times with him. And he's such a great person. I just really love him. He's, He's great. You know, he's a brother of mine.
0: Recently, uh, of course, it's been all over the place. Don brought up that Netflix is working on a biopic similar to uh, <laughs> The Dirt, uh, Motley Crue's movie that it did a few years back. Uh, have you heard anything about this? Uh, are you involved at all? Anything like that? I, I
1: heard a couple little things from it, uh, but I don't know much of anything about it or what it is. Don would know a lot more than that. I-, I don't know if I'd even be in it or involved in it. It might just be with the you know original 80s lineup, I would imagine. Who knows? Um, don't
0: know it must be pretty early uh er, yeah early stages probably. though i would imagine yeah. huh yeah one thing I, I did find uh interesting about you is that uh you uh you fly i guess like rc planes or something i, I saw hey, you in see, another I interview you were... yeah yeah hey you want to see some yeah sure let's let's take a look at these
1: i got a couple of them up here
0: wow you see that yeah, and do you put those together, or do you buy them? I'm an idiot when it comes to things like this. Oh, that's
1: right. Um, no, you, you put them, you assemble them, but it's not that difficult. Like, this, not that much to assemble. You know, you have to put it together, but it's not like you're building all the components, you know. Sure. It's basically, sure. you got to put the tail pieces on, put the wing pieces on. Um, you know, it takes a couple hours, but then the, the radio setup takes more time to get, to get you know, the radio going.
0: And then you go and, and, and you fly them
1: yeah flying yeah wow. and hopefully and eventually crash them
0: <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into that i i've never really uh, oh you
1: ne- know how i got into it like uh, you know i'm not a big internet person or internet troll but I, I got tired of like watching you know i sometimes you run out of things to watch like after work usually i like to sit on the couch and do nothing and you know sometimes drink a beer and just watch some news or whatever but so i went on youtube and um uh a, a video came up of Tyler Perry flying radio-controlled planes, you know? Yeah. And um, I, as soon as I saw it, I, I was just completely blown away, you know? I was like, what the hell? I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, he's got these crazy giant-looking 747s with, like, 20, 15, 20-foot wingspans. I mean, he, he's he's got, like, a whole crazy runway. And I was just, as soon as I saw that, I didn't even know what they were called, you know? I stumbled on I started searching around. I stumbled onto this site called like Motion RC and then I I saw some videos of that and I was like, wow, I, I I gotta get one of these and start learning how to do this, you know. And then I just got really hooked on it, you know? And it's I just love it. It's relaxing for me, it gets me out of the house. I like to go to the airfield really early in the morning. Like I'll usually go. I'll usually get to like seven a.m. Oh wow. Um yeah, before it gets too crowded and get some flights in and then come back and go to work. <laughs>
0: Is it, is it difficult to get the hang of flying those things? I remember a few years ago, uh, my, my dad and I had a a drone that we got and we were kind of trying to to mess around with it. And uh, I eventually kind of figured it out, but I'm like, fuck man, this is, uh, (laughs) you know, it it (laughs) takes a while to, to really get the hang of it.
1: Yeah. It's, you know what? I, I got the simulation software so you can use your hand, your actual radio you fly with to fly in the simulator. So I, I just did a lot of flights on the simulator. Then I started with like a, a base, a more a easier to fly plane. You know, I'm still new at this. Like I'm flying, flying, but you know, I'm not doing like any aerobatic tricks yet with my planes. Um, for me, a good flight is I just, you know, I don't do anything fancy, try and like get, get good landings and not crash my stuff. And then for now, I'm happy with that, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it's a definite steep learning curve, you know? It's really, and it's counterintuitive because, Okay, like if, if you push the stick to the left and you get you to go to the left. Like if the plane's going away from you and you you know, use your aileron and push to stick to the left to go to the left, it's gonna go to the left. But then when the plane's coming back toward you, left is gonna be right and right's gonna be left. Uh, so because it's, it's always inverted. from a yeah. cockpit perspective. So like now if it's coming for, toward towards you and you push the aileron to the left, then the plane's gonna look like it's going to your right.
0: Yeah. Wow. So
1: it just switches. So to get getting over that hump was the biggest challenge for, for learning how to do the RC it's that and landing because taking off pretty much anyone could take off if you try as long as you keep the plane straight
0: have you uh I would imagine those things are probably aren't cheap have you uh have you crashed any to the point of of just one wow <laughs> I
1: crashed one but I, I I was able to rebuild it I mean I got this plane it's really fast this one and uh it was on it's made in flight and it, it was everything was going fine and I put the plane down fine it was down But on the runway, I fly out here in Los Angeles, like it's it's so ill maintained. There's like potholes in it. And like, you you know, you really and I don't know exactly where all of them are. And the plane hit like something flipped up and flipped upside down. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh, man, you know, (laughs) And, and my my cousin Bruce is an actual pilot. Like he flies, you know, commercially and he's really into RC. And He was standing next to me and he's like, that wasn't your fault. It's like that. That plane, that that the uh, landing gear caught something on that runway, and, and, you, and flipped you. So you know, I rebuilt it. it. wasn't It's the plane's fine, but had to fix the landing gear and fix the tail. The fuselage cracked. They fixed that. It's it's all good, but it's a bummer when that happens. But you got to get used to it because sooner or later, every single one of the planes, and no matter who you are as a pilot, you're going to crash the RC plane at some point.
0: Well, it's just that's uh, just such a, a fascinating hobby, and honestly, one I, I you know didn't really know of obviously a lot of people have drones and stuff but uh i'm not overly familiar with this so that's that's fascinating
1: yeah i'm really into it so like yeah hey, if anyone out there does this and wants to chat about that i'm, I'm eager to do so because I, I i'm looking to learn on that you know i'm as into this as i was when i was playing guitar when i was a kid like it wow. just really it just really bit me you know i just love it
0: well, as we uh, close up shop on 2023, uh, what's what's coming up in 2024 that, that you can talk about? I would imagine uh, some, some tour dates for the new record.
1: Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to tour extensively on this album. Uh, we shot four more videos, um, which is great because that means we're going to have at least seven for a 10 song album, which is wonderful, you know. Um, and the next four are going to have live footage in it either be completely live or live footage interwoven into the video i don't know how they're going to approach it but um looking forward to to that and um yeah just really feel have a good sense of accomplishment because i i feel really proud of this one and i know don does too you know we i don't know if we either of us realize You know, when you're doing it, you don't really know. You know, you you just work and you focus on the work of the day and your track you're doing. And, yeah, you have some satisfaction feeling like, wow, I'm really digging on this. You know, this one's coming out good, you know. Or I I bring my wife in and I'm like, listen, I would always play for her. What do you think of this? You like this? You like this one? Um, So you have like little satisfactions, but, but you don't know the big picture. Because, again, like anything from A to Z when you're making a record can go wrong that can cause the record to veer off course you know every single step has to go right sure. of everything you know all the tracks have to go right all the arrangements all the mastering all the mixing like anything that doesn't go right can cause the song to fall and we really on this one ended up with a wonderful album
0: these uh the four videos that you just filmed are these the ones that uh, you guys filmed all the live footage in like the one day or whatever yeah, we, we
1: had a, a two gig run. So we did a show. I, I think it was on a Friday or an, and a Saturday, I think. So we played Friday show, wake up at like five in the morning, Saturday, fly like a short flight, um, but still, a t- you know, hour to the airport, hour waiting around, fly for an hour at six or seven in the morning, be really tired, drove right from the airport to the, to the venue because there was no time. We had to, you know, shoot all, we had to get set up for the video shoot. And we shot it all, before the gig. So, wow. you know, by the time that show came, we were all pretty loopy, but we got it done. We got it done.
0: What uh, What What venue was it uh, filmed at? Oh, that's a trick question. <laughs> I'm not good at
1: remembering.
0: <laughs> um,
1: you know, you play so many, and I, I mean, I can look it up, but I just don't remember off the top of my head the name of it, or even where it was. It was somewhere, it was somewhere in the outskirts of Chicago. Okay. In Illinois, somewhere. I just don't remember what it was called. I, I can get, get back
0: with you on that one. Yeah. Um, well, I uh, I guess you can go to dockingnet to get all the upcoming dates and, and see what's uh, coming up for 2024. And, and you, they can also uh, get a hold of you on, on your website, JohnLevinGuitars.com. Uh, John, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for giving me such a wonderful interview. Your questions were great.